in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money. A show about finances and feelings and the freaking system. We don't talk down to you and we learn together. 
After last week's big, serious cancel culture episode, today we're going to have a little fun. Also, if you like the show, this is my big plea to leave us an Apple rating and review. My producer Lindsay and I work so hard to bring this to you every week, and your comments and DMs mean a lot, but it would be even better if you left those as Apple reviews so we can get on the charts. Please, I want to be the first non-binary money show on the Apple business charts. Please help me. Leave a review. Okay, so anyway, back to the fun. I am the world's biggest Jeopardy fan. I watch it every weeknight, and I have strong feelings about it. I don't want to hear you plug your podcast during the personal story check-in part, which is a new thing people have started doing. I want to know you taught your cat how to play piano, or that you and your wife take photos at every statue of Ulysses S. Grant you happen to see. I love game shows. I even got to be on Idiot Test, which is a game show on the Game Show Network, as a celebrity contestant, although I lost big to Dr. Drew Pinsky of all people, so I didn't win. And the money I would have won would have been donated, because I was a celebrity contestant. That felt very low stakes. What I toy with all the time is going on Jeopardy. Actually taking the test to become a contestant. I'm good. I don't want to downplay this at all. I am excellent at trivia. I sit in front of the TV and I rattle off answers like someone who had no friends in middle school. Whenever I see a queer-coded contestant, I immediately try to find their social media and follow them. This week's guest is one of those contestants, a sweet person named Cody Lawrence who made an internet splash when he wore a bisexual flag pin on his episode. I loved it. Cody didn't win big on Jeopardy, but he did win $20,000 on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And he applies for game shows all the time, or as often as the contracts allow. I geeked out on hearing the behind the scenes of one of my absolute favorite shows. And Cody was part of the last group of contestants who actually played with legendary former host Alex Trebek, rest in peace. But as usual on Bad With Money, it can't be all fun and games. This week, I also talked to UMass Amherst professor and principal investigator on some massive gambling studies, Rachel Volberg. Dr. Volberg has been involved in research on gambling and problem gambling since 1985, according to her bio, and has directed and consulted on gambling studies all over the world. She is a bona fide expert on quote-unquote winning money, the good, the bad, and the definitely ugly. Unfortunately for Dr. Volberg, I also love casinos. The bright lights, the noise, the camaraderie, the excitement. Get a few drinks in me and it's off to the literal races. Or at least to the blackjack or craps table. Vegas is a great weekend destination. But for someone with addiction in their direct family, I am, as per Dr. Volberg, playing with fire. And for Cody, winning money has also shifted a bit into necessity. He studies, he practices, he applies. Winning money on TV, or at least trying and sometimes failing, can become a full-time obsession, a full-time job. This week, we get into what happens to our bodies and brains when we're winning money, what it's like to win money on TV, and how to recognize when you or someone you love's gambling has become a problem. You are not alone and there are ways to get help. But first, some queer joy with Jeopardy and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire star Cody Lawrence. I was on one episode of Jeopardy, but I wore I wore that bi flag pin and and it got some media attention. Always trying to represent whenever I can. It like caused a stir. It did. And then later that week there was a um 
a trans woman on. She had a pin as well. I know Kate Freeman. Kate's awesome. We we were both in the same because you know they tape five episodes in a day, so we were in the same group. And she had her pin on, and I had my pin on. I was like, it was like that Spider Man meme where we're like. <laughs> I so I watch Jeopardy obviously like all the time and there was like a span where for some reason there were a bunch of queer Jeopardy contestants like I know I noticed that it was like I I don't know what was I was like TJ but this is also kind of an aside but we like me and my roommate and my partner will always sort of try to guess who's queer like we'll like someone will come up and we'll be like you know like that one or that one and then when it gets to the part of like the thing where they're telling their story, we're always, yeah. if it's like a guy that we think is gay, we'll be like, say husband, say husband, say husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was so excited to see you on. And so, okay, so what was the process of oh getting God. on the show? Well, first of all, I tried taking the test for like years and years and years. I'm, I'm 28 and I've been taking the test since I was in like middle school trying to get on. The process goes like this. It's a little different now that it's post-COVID. So what happens is you take an online test. They don't give you the score. So it's a good idea to write down what you typed in because you can self-score. It's a 50-question test, and I think it's 15 seconds per question. So it's like a 12 to 15-minute test. But generally, the consensus is based on, you know, people getting auditions and stuff, that between 35 and 37 and above out of 50 is a passing score. And then out of that that pool of people, not everyone gets selected for an audition. Even then, it's a random selection from the pool of people that passed the online test. I was actually, I think, at the last in-person audition before COVID, and now they're all wow. virtual. So that was at a, a hotel near the airport, near LAX, mm-hmm. Culver City-ish. And then they let you know that you're in the pool for up to 18 months. So they're like, oh, you're in the contestant pool. We could call you at any time in the next 18 months to be on. They tend to favor local people for like last minute calls because they can call them last minute if someone drops out that's from out of town. They usually have the amount of contestants that they need for five episodes plus one extra on a Mm. tape day. So if there needs to be a rotation, then they have them extra. And then you're pretty much guaranteed to get on if you don't get on that day. Then you get on... The next tape day. Now, here's what happened was, do you know Zach Newkirk? He was the champion. He had like five or six day champion status. He was the voting rights attorney from Washington, D.C. We're friends because that was my tape day, my first tape day. And I was the holdover. That was the last tape day before COVID. Wow. I was the COVID holdover for all of COVID. The only one besides him. He was the champion. So he knew he was coming back and I knew I would be on eventually. So I was studying like really, 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 really hard the entire time that COVID was going on. Like I was like, I had like a lot of lead time. Yeah, you had a lot of time to look up the capitals (laughs) of every state in the U.S. Exactly. You were also on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire where you won way more money. I did. So why are you going on these shows? (laughs) First of all, I love trivia. I play on a weekly pub trivia team. It's just fun. I'm like, I'm good at it. It's my sport. Mm -hmm. I like to say that like now my two sports are trivia slash game shows and guessing the value of items on Antiques Roadshow before they reveal (laughs) the price. (laughs) Because that's one of my favorite shows. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Uh, Were those like very different experiences? Both went faster than I expected. 
I mean, obviously there was the COVID holdover, but the actual audition, like test to audition to being cast and called process for both of them was like less than a month. Yeah. It was crazy. January was the test. February I had my audition and the tape day was that day that the first NBA players came down with COVID. The sky was falling and we were yeah. on the, we were on the soundstage and it felt like we were in this like fallout shelter. Like we were closed <laughs> off from the world without phones and we just kind of heard secondhand all the stuff that was happening outside. It was really weird. That is so, so much extra stress on top of having to memorize like every single emperor of every single regime. I know. Wow. Yeah. So the reason that, that I do it is because I like it. Obviously, it's a easy way, not easy way. It's a, it's a way to make money, definitely more money than I'm making at my current job. <laughs> Were you more interested in the money or the glory? It depends on the show, I'd say. So those yeah. two shows, I think Jeopardy, more the glory. Millionaire, it's a little bit more even. That's what I thought. I thought you were going to say that. If Regis was hosting, I might say The Glory, but it was like Chris Harrison. And I'm like, uh, I like Chris Harrison. Wow. And he like m- made fun of me for like liking Comic-Con. And and I, you know how you think you think of something to say back after the fact? <laughs> oh my fact? God. Yeah. Well, it was like, that was like a little banter. I was like, I was going to be like, he was like, oh, well, I'm not planning to go. And I was going to be like, well, I'm not planning to go to Texas because that's where he's from. And I was going to, I was like, that's what oh. I should have said. And I was like, but you were like on TV and sweating and you're like, I'm just trying to win money, Chris Harrison. Can you leave me alone? Can yes. you not bully me? Yes. Yeah. I think that too, like for Jeopardy to me, it feels very much like the money is almost secondary to like wanting to get so many things right in a row. Exactly. Versus like millionaire, I feel like you're watching the money climb in such a specific way that it is more about like how much money you can win. It's in the title. I mean, millionaire, it's like money focused. I also studied for that a bit before I got on it. It's kind of a reading comprehension, the way that the questions are written now, at least. I don't know how they used to be written. might be a little simpler, but like there's like a keyword in the, in the question and it like qualifies the answers where some of the answers could kind of be the answer, but like this one, you have to like be very specific. And I'm like, it's a reading comprehension more than trivia and sometimes. So when you're winning the money, are you hyper-conscious of like, Okay, then that just lost me 400. Okay, that just gained me 800. Well, in my game, I don't know if you kept score in this sense, but I only got three questions wrong the entire game. Mm -hmm. One was the final Jeopardy. One was my daily double. I only had one standard game question that I got wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's like w- other ways that people score that are not the cash way that people like that follow Jeopardy. There's one called the Coriat score, which is like based on correct answers versus buzzins and stuff. And people were telling me, they were like, you got the highest Coriat score of the game. Right. Like I won something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that it doesn't translate to the most money, which sometimes is frustrating for me as a viewer. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, it depends on the strategy of like, the daily double and how much you bet on the daily double and how much you bet on the, you know, on the final question. Basically, when I found out that I was cast in Jeopardy, I joined some study groups. There's some private Facebook study groups that we help each other. There's like literally a study group where we put together presentations for each other. Like we're back in high school on stuff. It was crazy. We also talk about strategy. And one of the things they say is to like almost always go for the daily double if you hit it in first round because you can almost always recoup that amount in double jeopardy even if you blow it which i did just happened to be like one of the sections of british history that i didn't study that well when i was Mm -hmm. i like i studied a lot of it and i like skipped over this one section and 
then I guessed, and I guessed a really dumb guess. It wasn't even like two royal people from the same like time period or country. <laughs> it's so funny. Like the final Jeopardy question will be like actors, and then you'll be like, oh, okay. And then some, I guess it depends on people's whatever they are are familiar with. But for me, it'll be like movies, and then you'll be like, oh, okay, I'm good. And then like sometimes it'll be like final Jeopardy will be like obscure like people from asian history from the 1200s and you're like really (sighs) my final jeopardy was the ancient world and i was like that's so broad like mike my uh roommate will be like we'll watch the categories go and we'll be like come on tv and movies category come on tv and movies category or uh like they uh, she knows baseball really well so she'll be like come on baseball come yeah. on baseball but then like you'll get one person who this is like such jeopardy minutia but whatever this is my show y'all can listen <laughs> it'll be like someone will be so brilliant and they'll be getting like every single question about like mm-hmm. neuroscience correct and then it'll be like this woman was the star of 30 rock and the person will be like Mar- Margaret Cho like they don't know you know what I mean <laughs> yep. they like and so you're like oh my god but then I think about like what that person's daily life is like and I'm like I love you yeah totally you really have to be well-rounded or you have to be like really good in like a couple subjects <laughs> when it's opera and someone just goes through and crushes the category I'm like you are a specific person <laughs> That was one of those subjects that I was like, I got to study opera Mm -hmm. while I'm waiting for my call to come back to soundstage. And I did. And I didn't end up getting any categories for it. I was upset. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, also my favorite categories are the ones where you don't really have to know anything. It's just like puns or like wordplay. When it's a wordplay category, I'm so tickled. Some of them can get really hard. I I know in Tournament of Champions when they have a triple wordplay when it's like three, it's like not a before and after, it's like a before and middle and after. And I'm like, (laughs) how do you put that together? (laughs) Yeah. When do you actually receive your winnings in either show? I know for Millionaire, it was like 30 days after air date. And I think it was similar for Jeopardy. Although I think I was reading on actually on Facebook recently because we have like there's some private former contestant groups and stuff that it's like nine, 90 days is, days is the max or something. Okay. But it comes in the mail. It's a check. It's not there's no tax deducted from it. You got to do that yourself. In fact, that's on this year's taxes. Ah, it comes just like in a check. Who is the check from? I was researching and it's from the producers of the show? Or- Quadra Productions. It's a production company. Okay, so it comes from like the producers of the show. Because people right. are like, where does the money for a game show come from? To me, that's where it comes from. Obviously, a lot of their money comes from sponsors and stuff. I'd say for right. commercials and stuff. So for Jeopardy, like when you don't win, you get like 2000 or 1000 1000 which is what I got. It wasn't that much, so I just kind of just threw it in with my normal income. And mm-hmm. so for millionaire, though, you won twenty thousand, right? So you just got a twenty thousand dollars check in the mail. <laughs> yes, that is nuts. <laughs> I took it to the to the bank, and they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> were you, Were you like, I won it on How to Be a Millionaire, and they were like, "No, okay, whatever, sure." Kind of, yeah, pretty much. They're just like. It's like, oh, good. Good for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> So you declare that on your taxes. Yeah. How do you do that? Is there like a section oh for like game show winnings? Luckily, I had a CPA that was doing most of that stuff for, <laughs> for me. But yeah. It just counts as taxable income generally. And so from the 20K, like how much do you think you actually kept? 
uh, after taxes. Yeah. I, I did. We did the math, and we think that it was only like two thousand taxed off the top. So it's like oh. 18,000. 18, after you won, were you like, "That's a large sum of money"? Yeah, I was happy. I was also bummed that I didn't get more. And, and now, whenever <laughs> I hear what, because the question I got out on was about what's the country singer's real name? Really famous country singer Garth Brooks. What his real name is? Oh. That was the, the answer. And now, whenever I hear his name, I'm like Garth Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way. I feel like it's similar to like when like a queen lip syncs on Drag Race to a song and then goes home, and then that song just haunts them. Exactly. Like I feel like like you hear something about the ancient world, and you're like have like a full flashback. Exactly. Socrates. Socrates was the answer. Or when I hear Brutus, because like that's what I put. And then what were some? There was a cup though. Daily Double that I blew. Um, I'm just like, uh, I put, I said King Henry VIII and Catherine the Great. What I meant was like Catherine, I think it was Catherine Parr. Oh. I was trying to think of one of the cat because I think he, he was like with multiple Catherines, yeah. but I, there was so much pressure and I like said the wrong Catherine. I was like, oh. <laughs> so we filmed it. It's been almost a year. It was September 28th and it aired on December 8th of 2020. Oh, wow. So you had a long time to think about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen when they play that part? I was playing it in my head. I was like, am I going to look like a total idiot? Because like, <laughs> are people going to tweet at me and be like, you dummy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did that happen? They weren't like, you dummy. But it was like, you know, a couple people were like, yeah, like, I know better, or like sort of that sort of thing. That's the kind of people oh, that watch Jeopardy. The people that watch Jeopardy <laughs> are snobs. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Are you given like any options of type of payment or when like I know for um I was re researching like if you win like a blender or if you win like a car or something like on prices right they yeah they'll like sort of you're not allowed to do like the price of like you have to get the actual thing right they were just like give us your address we'll send you money in the mail exactly I prefer that to blend to twenty thousand dollars in blenders I always think about that, like the Wheel of Fortune people who it's like, you won. Oh, I always thought like for COVID, right? It would be like, you won a trip to Italy or whatever. Uh. And I'd be like, mm, don't you wish you could get the monetary equivalent? I actually just submitted an application to Wheel of Fortune this week. So we'll see. Wheel of Fortune, I think, is, and maybe Jeopardy too. They're casting for personality also. Especially Wheel of Fortune. They want you to seem cool and interesting and weird, I think. I think of Wheel of Fortune as the Las Vegas of game shows. <laughs> Go on. I mean, I love it, but it's like gaudy and loud and like, mm -hmm. and it's a lot and it's luck based. I mean, there's a lot of word puzzle aspects, but the wheel is a huge part of it. And just like in Jeopardy, this is a part that people don't realize. I mean, if you think really think about it, you realize the buzzer is such a huge part of Jeopardy. Huge. huge. You watch people That's struggling with That's the buzzer. That's why I lost. Because in the in the last round, I was trying to jump around. I was actually trying to do the um, what do they call it? The Forest Bounce is what it's called, mm -hmm. based named after Chuck Forrest, like one of the original contestants who did it, where he jumped around the board to try and find the daily doubles. But I couldn't even get a buzz in. Yeah. Do you think it prioritizes the person who rang in last? I feel like it. The person who rang in last has figured out the rhythm. And so it keeps it's, going back to them. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. I wouldn't say a favorite in like a way that like. Mm -hmm. it's more of like they got that rhythm down for that moment. It's kind of like when you're playing piano and you like get into it and it's like, okay, I'm playing everything right. There's no mm -hmm. mistakes. But then you hit a wrong note and you're like, eh, and then you're like out of it, out of that groove. Yeah. I watch people 
Like I, you want to root for them. Like I watch people like get one wrong in the beginning and then just like stop, like freeze and like stop answering. And I'm like, come on, you can do it. Just yeah. go, just buzz in. It's just okay. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. It's so nerve wracking. Yeah. Ugh. But I, but there was a moment there. I was, I, I was in a groove right after I blew that daily double. And mm-hmm. whenever I show the episode to people, they're like, oh, you, you had that rally where you came back there right after the daily double. Like I buzzed on every, like almost every question. And I got him <laughs> every single question right. And, and I was like, oh, if I could keep this going into, into double jeopardy and yeah. that didn't happen, but. <laughs> yeah. What did you do with your winnings? Uh, my $1,000. Well, okay, from Jeopardy and, okay. and from, I would say more from Millionaire. From Millionaire, okay. Yeah. So I haven't had a short film that I've been trying to get finished for like eight years since I graduated college. Oh my God. And it still hasn't happened. I've kind of, I won't say a waste of the money. I think I got kind of taken advantage of monetarily by some people, VFX artists and stuff. And so a lot of it went to that and it's still not done. I had a kick. That kick's, is interesting. Yeah. But a lot of it I still have kept, you know, I just, it's kind of my, my mixed together sort of fund for whatever. Is that why you're trying to get on Wheel of Fortune? Well, yes, that's part of it. Part of it is um, <laughs> the place that I, the place that I work right now. I don't make enough to like live outside of my folks' house and I'm living back at home right now. Yeah. So I know it's, it's more common these days, but it's, I don't know, I'm 28. I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to have my own place and. Yeah. It's so interesting that, I mean, it says a lot about America, I think, in some ways, because it's so interesting that the job doesn't pay, but like going on these game shows is worth it. And I'm sure there are so many other people just like you that have that similar thing. Yeah. Where they're like, I'm going to try to get on The Price is Right. I'm going to try to get on because like, and it's sort of, it's fun, but it's dystopian in some ways because it's like, if I can get on these shows, then I can like, maybe I can make money in a way that is actually impactful to my life. Exactly. So like for me, it's, it is, that is, that is spot on. Like it's not just for the glory, unfortunately. Like if I were doing better financially, it would be for the glory. But for me, it's like, it's actually like a means to an end in some ways. That's the thing, right? It ends and then you're like, okay, I got to get on Wheel of Fortune. Right. Are there other people that you see in these groups that are similar? Yeah. And, and like, Whenever there's like a new casting for like a new game show that's being d- developed and stuff, well, people will share it and they'll be like, oh, here's a new one. I always apply to those too. And um, depending on the game show that you are on and the game show you're applying to, there's usually a six to 12 month buffer. You're not allowed to be on another show. What? Yeah. So like I, I appeared on Jeopardy, so I can't be on another show until 12 months after my air date. So... I waited a little while till I started applying again so that when the casting started calling, I could be like, by the time that I get cast and the thing tapes, it'll have been, it'll air a year later. Wow. I wonder why they do that. They don't want you to oversaturate, but like, who cares? I think so. Yeah. Who cares? That's so weird. Yeah. It's a thing. That's like, who, who cares? Like, what is, is someone going to, maybe one person, maybe me will be like, oh my God, that person was on multiple episodes, but it's not going to affect my life. It's like the, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like, <laughs> like that. It's like the, yeah. there's, or one person does that. Like, look, yeah. it's the person. It's and, not going to affect my life to see you on two shows. I promise. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it gives an, uh, an uh, appearance of conflict of interest or favoritism or something weird like that. Huh. 
the cynical part of me is like they want to keep someone from winning like a hundred thousand dollars on Jeopardy and then a hundred thousand dollars on Wheel of Fortune. You know what I mean? They yeah. want to keep people from just making this, this their career, which honestly it should be. It can be a career. <laughs> it can, <laughs> can be. But unfortunately, now I'm limited to like one a year, and wow. which is fine. I mean, it, it, after, before Jeopardy, I had my episode of uh, Millionaire taped in July of 2017 and didn't air until. April 30th and May 1st, because it was a split across two episodes, April 30th and May 1st of 2018. So that was like almost a full year before it aired. And I had people wow. like asking me, they were like, when, when is it going to air? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Do they give you a heads up? Like a two or three week heads up. Oh, okay. Do you get residuals if it re-airs? No, that's part of the contract that you sign is that you don't get residuals and they're allowed to use your likeness in any advertisement in perpetuity. Okay. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So they, you sign over your likeness. Exactly. This is something that happened to me at BuzzFeed. If they put together like a best of Jeopardy special, sold that to Hulu for like a million dollars. You don't get anything. You don't get anything and you're in it. Mm-hmm. Or if like you're on a billboard or like, like a weird advertisement where they're like just a clip show of different episodes or like little quick cuts and you're like, they have you saying like, yay or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't get any money for that. <laughs> Or if they use you in the opening, how sometimes they'll use people in the opening. In those little, like, screens and stuff. They'll use, like, that one girl who did, like, brush your shoulder off or whatever. They use her all the time. (laughs) Whatever. And it's like, you know, like, and I was like, oh, they're using your clip. Like, that must be so exciting. But it's also like, they're not compensating you for that. So that's interesting. This is true. But a lot of the people that get on that main title more than made enough money. And they also end up coming back for Tournament of Champions often. And that's... It's wow. It's so wild because it does seem like the mental hunger games. (laughs) It really is. I was, we were actually just talking uh, in one of the Facebook groups like a week ago. We were like, oh, we wish that they had a second chance uh, sort of Jeopardy thing. They did for Millionaire actually once where people who blew it on the first question were asked back. I love that. And that was super sweet. And I was like, oh, what if they had like, they have themed weeks. They have, they have Armed Forces Week for for Wheel of Fortune and Teachers Week. And they have for both Jeopardy and yeah. Wheel of Fortune. I was like, what if they have like a LGBT plus week? That would be so cool. I mean, that we have enough of them. And like, like you said, you know, this, this trend of like queer people like showing up on the show over the last like six to 12 months, which just seems so random, but like really cool. And I'm like, well, what yeah. if they just brought some of us back who maybe didn't win or. That would be awesome. That's just a thought. Yeah, or if they had more theme weeks like that. They do that on other shows where they'll they bring people back, you know? You're like the Miss Vanjie of uh, Yeah, <laughs> of yeah. I mean, they, they literally bring back Ken and and uh, James and Brad and all of them like 20 yeah. times. Why can't they, they bring... They don't need it! They don't need the money! <laughs> they have more... And they're like, they all have like <laughs> books that they've written and like... When I was studying, I was actually, there's a book that's, that a former Jeopardy champ wrote on buzzer strategy. And, <laughs> and I, I, bu- I bought it. It was like, it's like a, like a 70 page book, ebook online. I bought it when I was studying and I practiced wow. and I actually bought like a, um, I have a buzzer that like plugs, it has a USB port and there's a website that you can use and it, you just, it asks the same questions. There's like maybe like 20 questions it asks over and over, but you like time it. Cause it's like programmed to emulate the, the system in this in the studio there's a whole jeopardy cottage industry there is and but but what i was getting at is <laughs> james holzhauer wrote the foreword to the reissue of the ebook <laughs> oh wow <laughs> for the book because oh he's like mr God. buzzer he's like mr buzzer yeah. you know <laughs> so that is so funny wow this i think this is a really fun topic and i could talk yeah. to you about it for hours and hours but where can people find you and more about you and and how can they 
Do you know how they can watch your episode? You can also say, I don't wish to be found. <laughs> I... I love being found. Uh, my uh, my Twitter and my Instagram are both Cody Lawrence with three underscores in the middle. I couldn't get I couldn't get it without the underscores. People, <laughs> other Cody Lawrence is so C O D Y three underscores L A W R E N C E. That's for both Twitter and Instagram. My episode, I think that right now you can't, you can't watch it. You can read about it. If you type in your name, you can read about it. And you can read also a bunch of articles about the bisexual visibility, which was so lovely. That was very cool. Did all the bisexuals just follow you on Instagram like at once? A bunch of them did, yeah. (laughs) It was very cool. Next, we're going to be talking to Dr. Rachel Volberg, a brilliant researcher who deserves more light shown on her extensive and helpful work in the world of problem gambling. I have been a gambling researcher for a little over 35 years. Currently, I'm a research professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst in Western Mass, where I head up a study of the social and economic impacts of casino gambling in Massachusetts. What made you start looking into that 35 years ago? (laughs) Well, I was offered a job to evaluate a treatment program for problem gamblers in New York State. So that was in 1985, and the program had started, I believe, in 1983, which was three years after pathological gambling, as it was called, was actually introduced into the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual and became a recognized mental illness. So they handed me a bibliography my first day on the job and said, this is everything we know about pathological gambling. And I looked at the two pages and thought, hmm, maybe there's some work to do here. So what defines pathological gambling? Back in 1985, pathological gambling was defined as an impulse control disorder, not elsewhere classified. So it got grouped into this very weird category along with kleptomania and trichotillomania, which is like pulling your hair. And the reason it was sort of classified there is that the psychiatrists who were just starting to study the disorder felt that it was related to problems that people had controlling their impulses. And what we've learned over the last 35 years is that, in fact, sort of neuro logically and neurochemically, as well as behaviorally, um, pathological gambling is much more similar to addictions than it is to impulse control disorders. And so in 2013, the American Psychiatric Association reclassified and renamed the disorder. So it's now known as disordered gambling. Basically, there's two pieces to it. One is a loss of control over one's gambling involvement. The other major piece is that the individual experiences harms because of that over-involvement in gambling. Loss of control meaning you go, well, I'm just going to put in $100 and then you like are like, oh shit, I put in $500, like that kind of thing? Yeah, people lose the ability to sort of, you know, set a budget for themselves and then walk away when they hit the limit that they've set for themselves. And people try different ways to sort of establish control. 
even people who are not problem gamblers or pathological gamblers or disordered gamblers, very often people won't take their credit cards with them to the casino or they, mm-hmm. you know, have a personal rule that they won't go to the ATM and pull out money. So people try different ways. And there actually are tools that have been developed that people can use to sort of set a budget ahead of time before they're sort of in the midst of the gambling excitement. What are those? So here in Massachusetts, we have a system called Play My Way, which is a budgeting tool. Anybody who belongs to the uh, loyalty program for two of the three casinos here in Massachusetts can use that loyalty card to sign up for this system called Play My Way, which asks you to set a budget for the day, for the week, and for a month. And then as you approach that budget amount, it starts to send you notices. So, you know, you're at 75% of your daily budget or you're at, you know, 75% of your monthly budget. And it doesn't actually stop people from going over their budget. It still keeps telling you you're 150% of your daily budget. You know, So mm-hmm. it, it does, mm-hmm. you know, sort of alert people to, you know, whether they're just playing beyond what they wanted to play before they started gambling. Is that recommended more than going cold turkey? One of the problems that people have when they start suspecting that they might have a gambling problem, there's a lot of stigma around people's expectations of their ability to manage their own money. So and people who don't feel able to manage their money can be quite embarrassed about it. And so there's a lot of reluctance amongst problem gamblers to really admit that their gambling is causing them difficulties. So the kinds of tools that are out there can be helpful, but it really has to start with an individual recognizing that this behavior or this activity might be problematic for them and then coming up with ways of which there are many to sort of not engage in that activity. Abstinence is not always the first thing that people want to try. In fact, it's Mm -hmm. rarely the first thing they want to try. I've spoken with gamblers who over the years have tried different ways to stop gambling and finally sort of recognize that they just can't gamble at all. And Mm -hmm. so it takes people a long time, but it is a requirement. The self-help group Gamblers Anonymous you have to abstain from gambling and you have to abstain from every kind of gambling. You can't even make like a casual bet with a friend because their view is that that starts you down the slippery slope. Right. But people can cut back. It's just harder as you sort of get further along in the continuum. So in terms of casinos, right? I mean, they're flashy. They draw you in. They're fun. There's no clocks. Like everyone kind of knows how that works. And Mm -hmm. then I sort of want to talk about like, is the lottery worth doing? Like, what is the deal with people who just want to play the lottery all the time? Yeah, you know, lottery games have changed a lot over the years that I've been in the field. When I first started, I think there were maybe 13 states that had lotteries. Oh. And now there's 45. Wow. So the only game that they offered Uh, back at that time were these large jackpot games, what we now know like Mega Millions or Powerball, which are actually multi-state large jackpot games. 
But in the early days, each state would sort of have a big jackpot. As time went on, you know, the lotteries were doing a lot of advertising, but they decided that they wanted to kind of expand the number of people that they appealed to. So the instant tickets or the scratch cards were introduced. Scratch cards, instant tickets are actually the most popular form of lottery purchase. In my business, the gambling research business, we often just call them paper slot machines. Scratch off and you get an instant answer to whether you won money or not. The prizes for the instant tickets are quite small, but you win often. It's a a gambling product that sort of encourages people to continue to play. Is it a balance where like the state is making a lot more money than people are winning? So it's incentivized. Sometimes people talk about it like it's taxes almost, like the state is using it in good ways or something. Is that how it works? In some cases it does. In New York, for example, I believe the lottery pays out about 50 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. That other 50 cents goes to pay the administrative costs of the lottery and whatever's left, which is quite a lot, is used to fund the Department of Education. Hmm. But what that means in New York, the money that goes from the lottery to the Department of Education, that means that the state legislature does not have to fund the Department of Education from the general fund to the tune of whatever the lottery provides. So there are a number of states that manage their lottery profits in that way. Here in Massachusetts, uh, the lottery actually pays out about 72 cents on the dollar. It's very unusual in that way. And the money that is generated after the administrative costs are covered is distributed by a formula that the legislature has established in unrestricted funds to the 350 towns and cities of Massachusetts. So it's unrestricted money that's then distributed to the towns and cities that they can use however they want. A state lottery rarely accounts for more than about 1% of a state budget. Interesting. Yeah. The one exception is Rhode Island. Really? What do you mean? Why? In Rhode Island, their lottery, which owns and operates their casinos as well, is their third highest revenue generator for the state. Wow. I mean, is it predatory? Do you think that like casinos and lotteries are sort of predatory towards a specific like lower income group? I don't think they set out to be predatory. I think they set out to provide a product like any form of capitalism. They sort Mm -hmm. of flow to where they think they're going to make the biggest profits. In the case of liquor stores and pawn shops and lottery outlets in many cases, those places are sort of located in economically vulnerable communities. What is the high of winning money? Because one other person we're talking to on this episode is a buddy of mine who won on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, went on Jeopardy, is trying to get on Wheel of Fortune. So like, what is the appeal? What is happening to you when you're winning? Well, as I understand it, it's a neurochemical reaction very similar to a drug high, especially a big win early on sets up synapses in your brain, although I am not 
at all a brain scientist. And so that's not my specialty. It's a very similar experience to a high from taking a drug. And so people seek out that experience over and over. So is gambling addiction, you know, I think a lot of, I have a lot of experience with alcoholics and and drug addicts in my family. And there's sort of this thing of like, it's genetic. Do you see that similarity with gambling addicts? Yeah, the research that I've seen is that about 40 to 60% of what leads a person to develop a gambling problem is the genetic nature component. And only about 40% is the environment that someone comes up in. Genetic in the sense that like your brain is particularly tickled by the high? In the sense that problem gambling will run in families, much like other kinds of addictions. Mm -hmm. And also it's important to understand that a gambling problem or a gambling addiction is very often a fellow traveler with a drug or alcohol problem. Yeah. You know, they tend not to travel alone. And it's because the brain systems that are engaged with each of those behaviors or activities are very similar and nearly the same. So how can someone know if they have a problem? One of the main sort of signs is that they are preoccupied with gambling. Another important sign is that they lie about where they got their money or how much money they have, or they lie about their gambling to people who care about them. And very often a family member or a friend will express concern about a person's gambling before that person will even acknowledge the problem to themselves. If they're having financial problems, if they're caught lying multiple times about their gambling, if they can't stop thinking about their gambling, Those are three really critical signs. What should you do if you think someone has a problem or if you have a problem? Like, what is the next step? So, you know, not everybody needs professional treatment for a gambling problem. Most people get into trouble and then they're able to get themselves out of trouble. And hopefully they've learned from that so that they don't get into trouble again. But, you know, some people don't always get the lesson. There are plenty of materials that are online and people generally prefer to sort of, you know, explore online, an online forum perhaps where they can talk to other people who also have experienced difficulties with their gambling. There's lots and lots of, you know, self-help materials that are provided by different jurisdictions. But, you know, if someone's really, really struggling, and particularly if they are starting to be very depressed and anxious and even suicidal, then it's really time to call in the professionals and to get somebody either the therapeutic help. There are some medications that can be used. You know, medications that are effective with other addictions are effective with gambling. But it's very important to work with a clinician who knows the ins and outs of the gambling addiction, because a lot of people who end up in treatment, professional treatment for gambling, have multiple addictions. And very often they'll talk about their alcohol or drug problem, but they won't ever mention the gambling piece. And so therapists really need to be careful uh, to probe around a person's gambling behavior if they present with an alcohol problem or with depression or anxiety, 
those are the most frequent fellow travelers with a gambling problem. And so to improve the effectiveness of the treatment for those other addictions, but then also to address the gambling issues, you need to have therapists who are comfortable asking about it. Uh, it is overlooked. It is erased a lot of the time. So I do appreciate you coming on. You know, half of the episode is fun and games and the other half is like, hey, <laughs> those fun and games might cost you a lot of money or the mob might break your leg. I don't know if they still do that. They've come up with some other <laughs> things. They don't always break your leg, but, you know, they'll break something. Oh, God. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and, and read more of your work? Well, if they're interested in um, my Massachusetts work, they can go to www.umass.edu slash S-E-I-G-M-A. That's our website where we publish everything that we're doing in Massachusetts. I have a long list of publications and various reports. Probably the easiest thing to do is to email me. Uh, I do answer a lot of emails every day. So that's rvolberg at umass.edu and ask me for something specific and I'll be happy to send you a PDF. Oh, that's so lovely. Direct from the source. So, should I try to get on Jeopardy? It would be a dream come true that could also quickly turn into a nightmare. I'm very competitive. If I got a question wrong that I actually knew and just like spoke wrong or misremembered something, I'd be truly haunted for life. It would be hard to get over. Like you could literally read my fifth grade diary on TV and I'd be less embarrassed than if I came in second on Jeopardy. Is that healthy? No. Is my ego out of control? Absolutely. It's less so about the money for me and way more about the glory. And it's that way with all the gambling I enjoy. I want to win. I want to be the smartest in the room. The money is just a bonus. Does that mean I should try to get on Jeopardy? What do you think? And who wants to help me try? <laughs>